Continuing now in this early part of the chapter, we'll see today the impact that they'll have for the Lord in their brief but potent ministries. We now turn to Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, as Pastor Phil brings us today's teaching. Well, out of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, there are over 800 references to the Old Testament. That's why if you study the book of Revelation, it's such a blessing because it will take you into every nook and cranny of the Bible. And if you don't understand what is being used in the way of an idiom or a symbol, get out a concordance and try to find it in the Old Testament, and chances are you will. This happens to come out of Zechariah chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. You can read the whole chapter. In fact, you can back up and read the end of chapter 3 into Zechariah 4. Let me tell you what's going on, though, okay? Because it comes right out of that. Israel has returned from Babylonian captivity. And out of the two to three million that went into Babylonian captivity, uh, as the Babylonians allowed whoever wanted to return back to Israel to go and return, only about 50,000 returned. Can you imagine that? All the rest of the Jews had built houses, started businesses, were prospering in Babylon. And they started businesses, and they prospered, and many of them were comfortable in Babylon. Isn't it sad when God's people get comfortable in the world? But in a way... It worked out to be a blessing because the ones that came back were the most committed to the Lord. To repatriate the land, they were the most committed, willing to make the 700 or so mile journey over rough terrain back to Jerusalem to do what? To, first of all, clear out. The city had been reduced to rubble. The temple was totally destroyed. A pile of rocks everywhere. Just millions of rocks. And you work all day removing rocks they wanted to rebuild the temple first. You, you, you work all day to move rocks away so you can rebuild the temple. After you work hard all day, it looks like you haven't done anything, right? You've got a million rocks to move. I mean, you don't look like you're making a dent. It brings a lot of discouragement, doesn't it? And the people were getting discouraged. And so God spoke, first of all, to Joshua, who was the high priest at that time. And then to Zerubbabel, who was the political leader, the civic leader, these two men who were the leaders of the nation, civic, spiritual, to encourage them. And God, first of all, said to Zerubbabel, he said, look, it's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that the work is going to get done. And don't despise the days of small things, Zerubbabel. You just keep being faithful. And he gave to him a vision. And in the vision, he saw a menorah. Now, a menorah was a seven-branched oil-burning lamp. Your, some of your Bibles translate a candlestick holder. Bad. The menorah, there was no wax in a menorah, okay? A menorah was one stem and three branches coming from each side. It was a, it was a symbol of Christ who said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Six 
is the number of man. Plus one, seven, number of completeness. We are incomplete until we are joined to Christ. And when we are joined to Christ, the Spirit of God fills our lives, and the Spirit in the Scripture is often likened to oil. And on top of each of the branches was a cup or a bowl containing oil and a wick. And in in, uh, the tabernacle, it was the only light in that first room, the holy place. And it was never to go out, by the way. Once they lit the menorah, it was never to go out. It was one of the priest's responsibilities to make sure that there's every day fresh oil was poured into each of the cups so that there was always enough oil for the flame to continue. Well, when you're a priest, that's one of your little tedious chores you have to do every day. Joshua was a high priest. And so, you know how you think of things to cut down some of the work, you know, some time savers? Well, God gives him a vision, him and Zerubbabel, of a menorah and next to it two olive trees. And there is piping coming from the trees over each of the cups so that there's a constant dripping of oil into the cups, all right? Never have to worry about filling it again. It's always being replenished. And God said to Joshua and Zerubbabel, you two are my witnesses. You're my lights. This is a dark time in my people's history. It's a lot of work to be done. It's discouraging work. It's backbreaking work. You need to be my lights. And I'm likening you to the menorah. But this time with the, with the olive trees and piping that is continually filling the cups in the sense that I am continually filling you with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And as God did that in the Old Testament, he is going to use these two witnesses in the future to be lights in a very dark time in man's history. As the old saying goes, it's always black as before the what? Before the dawn. It's going to be a black period, but Jesus Christ is coming. But again, God never leaves himself without a witness. He always has those that are proclaiming his word, are faithful to him. You know, there was a time um, when Elijah was convinced he was the only guy left, right? Lord, just kill me now. The whole nation is apostate. Everybody is into idolatry. I'm the only guy left that loves you, Lord. And the Lord said, Elijah, you know, chill out. You're not the only one left. I've I've reserved 7,000 in Israel that has not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his image. Now, 7,000 out of a nation of 3 million wasn't a lot. But God always keeps for himself a faithful remnant. And these two witnesses in the future are going to be God's witnesses in the sense that he is going to be filling them with the Holy Spirit daily. They are going to be a light in the darkness And the world is going to be filled with great spiritual and moral darkness at this time. They will be two lights that are proclaiming the truth when a whole world is bought into the Antichrist lies and deception. Now, verse 5. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner, same way he tries to kill them they must be killed these have power to shut to uh, shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy 
and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Now, what's going on here is the people of this world are not going to be able to ignore them, is the idea. You know, people today can ignore you, can't they? They can walk away when you start talking about the Lord. But God is going to confront the world at that time with these two guys, and you know what? The world is going to be forced to listen. Now, it doesn't mean the world's going to accept their message. It's just that the world is going to be forced to listen. So they can't say, I never heard. Who are these two guys? Well, it's impossible to be dogmatic about the specific identity of these two prophet preachers. Most conservative scholars believe that one of the two witnesses is going to be Elijah. Most conservative scholars believe that one of the two witnesses is going to be Elijah. Turn to John chapter 1. You remember the ministry of John, John the Baptist. Now, don't misunderstand something. When the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah telling him that even though he was old and his wife Elizabeth was old, that God had heard his prayers, which he had prayed many years earlier, probably had stopped praying uh, for 30 or 40 years about having a son. Uh, But God had heard and sent the angel Gabriel to tell Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth was going to bear a son. And they were to call his name John. And he would go forth in the spirit and in the power of who? Elijah. It didn't say he was going to be Elijah. It just said he was going to go forth in the spirit and the power of Elijah in the sense that he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers and so on. They would call a, he would call a nation to repentance, just like Elijah did. Well, as John's conducting his ministry, John's a pretty colorful guy. He's out in the wilderness there with his, you know, kind of like his Tarzan outfit, and he was eating, you know, locusts and wild honey. He was a pretty colorful guy. And, uh, and a lot of people started going out to see this guy in the wilderness. And it drew the attention of the leadership in Jerusalem, who sent a kind of a delegation out to find out who this guy is. And so in John chapter 1, verse 19... It says, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said to them, no, I'm not. Now, why did they ask John if he was Elijah? Well, because the last promise of the, to close out the Old Testament found in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what God said. This is the final thing that God said to close out the Old Testament period. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse." Notice, God said, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord, also known as the great tribulation, takes place in the second half of the seven years. That's why I believe the two witnesses, one being Elijah, are going to conduct their ministry in the first three and a half years. Okay? But even to this day, Orthodox Jews are still looking for the coming of Elijah. 
If you ever have the opportunity to be invited to a Jewish home, an Orthodox Jewish home, for a Passover Seder, you will realize that they always set an empty chair at the table for Elijah. And at one point during the meal, the youngest in the family is told to run to the front door, open it up, because the family is hoping to see Elijah there. Why is that important to them? Because they have read Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and they realize that God is going to send to the nation Elijah the prophet before he judges the world and Messiah comes and establishes the new order, the kingdom age. So if Elijah shows up, you know Messiah is not too far behind. And that's why they're excited to think about the coming of Elijah. But furthermore, as you read the description of these two witnesses and the power that they have, they have power to do four things. Two of the things are they have power to shut up heaven so no rain falls for three and a half years. And they have power to call down fire from heaven to destroy their enemies. Who does that sound like? Well, Elijah called down fire from heaven several times in Second Kings chapter 1. He also pronounced a three-and-a-half-year drought on the land in 1 Kings 17, which James reaffirms. In fact, James tells us it was three-and-a-half years. We don't get that from the Old Testament, but James 5.17 tells us that. The same length of time that the two witnesses are able to stop rain upon the earth, three-and-a-half years. So that sounds like Elijah, doesn't it? I mean, call fire down from heaven. Stop it from raining for three and a half years. That, that's the ministry of Elijah. And so based on that, most conservative scholars believe that one of the two witnesses is going to be Elijah. That's the easy one, folks. They all pretty much agree on that. It's the identity of the other witness that throws people. Many conservative scholars believe that the other witness is going to be Enoch. Why Enoch? Because like Elijah, Enoch never died, did he? And then that's why they believe it's Enoch. Because Elijah was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. He never tasted death. But neither did Enoch. He was raptured before the flood came. All right? And so they said, well, if Elijah's coming back, well, he never died. The other one's got to be Enoch because he never died. But let me just say this. Enoch isn't going to be one of the two witnesses because Enoch is a type of the church. And there is a generation of the church that's never going to see death. That generation that is alive at the time of the rapture. And as we've already pointed out, before God brought the first worldwide judgment in the days of Noah, the flood, he raptured Enoch off of the earth before the flood came. Enoch is the type of the church. That's why I believe that the church is going to be raptured out of here before the last seven years begins. Because that final seven years is all God's judgment. Second half, more severe than the first half of the seven but it's all going to be God's judgment. So I don't believe the other witness is Enoch, even though you have good scholars like J. Vernon McGee and others who do believe it's going to be Enoch. And I respect them. I don't agree with them on this point. So who do I think the other witness is going to be? I think it's going to be Moses. That's my opinion. And based on, again, the descriptions here of the two witnesses, what they have power to do, Shut up heaven so that it doesn't rain for three and a half years. Again, Elijah, power to call fire down from heaven to destroy their enemies. That's Elijah. But also to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with various plagues. Now that sounds like Moses, who turned the water of the Nile into blood, right? And pronounced ten judgments upon the nation of Egypt and so on. 
But also something interesting to me. You remember how that Jesus said to his disciples, there are some standing here that shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom with power and glory, right? And then six days later, he takes Peter, James, and John up to a high mount. And there he is transfigured. In other words, he gives them a glimpse of his second coming glory, right? It's a preview of the second coming. And who appears to Peter, James, John, and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. Somehow, Moses and Elijah are connected with the second coming of Christ. That's another reason why I believe the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. It seems that when Jesus gave us a preview of the second coming, Moses and Elijah were right there. Which tells me, based on the powers that these guys have, and based on the fact that they appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, which was a preview of the second coming glory, I believe that these two are Moses and Elijah. Now, there's another reason. Both left the earth in unusual ways. Elijah, again, was taken up in a fiery chariot. And if you read the account in Deuteronomy about Moses' death, it says he died, but he really didn't have to, basically. His body wasn't worn out. His eyes were good. The hearing was great, unlike me. And this guy was 120 years old, so I mean, you know. But he died. And it says in Deuteronomy 34, verses 5 and 6, that God buried Moses' body in a secret location. Why? Well, first of all, you come to the New Testament and you turn to the book of Jude, right? It's only one chapter. You come to verse 9, which, answer, which raises more questions than it answers. Verse 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Boy, I wish Jude would have given us a little more. <laughs> he throws it out as if we ought to know what he's talking about. Why was Satan disputing with Michael the archangel over Moses' body? It could be that Satan realized that God had plans for that body. Why else would God hide it. Why else as if God was keeping it in a special location for a future time? A time when he would resurrect that body and pair it up with Elijah for the work that God was calling them to, one final ministry, which would lead then to the return of Jesus Christ. And so once again, I believe these two guys are Moses and Elijah. You can disagree with me. That's fine. It's, you can't get dogmatic about it. I just think that the evidence is, mounts up after a while. And, you know, now here's something else I'm going to throw out to you. Remember I told you that the Greek in verse 3 is very strong, where God says, my two witnesses, which is really the two witnesses of mine, indicating that they had been used by God before. What is a witness? Somebody that testifies to something they have what? See, now that's very important. All right, I'm going to share something with you that I'm not trying to sell to you. Uh, it, was, it was shared with me by one of the teachers I was listening to in preparation for this study. Never thought about it before. Thought, hmm, something to that maybe. All right? We know on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared with Christ. We know that because they were named, right? 
So that's no, uh, we, know, we know that for sure. Turn to Luke 24. Uh, the context here is the, that first resurrection Sunday morning. Now, verse 4, Luke 24, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, perplexed. The, the women came to the tomb, found the stone had been rolled away, looked inside, it was empty, right? That behold, to what? Men. Now, in John's Gospel, we, we read about angels, and there were angels that were appearing and disappearing all over the place. And John calls some angels. I think Matthew is uh, well calls some angels. But Luke calls these two men. We say, well, can angels look like men? Yes. But, you know, was he calling them men because they were men? We don't know. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and in the third day rise again. All right. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Of course, this is where Jesus goes as far as Bethany, and then he is, begins to ascend up into the clouds. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, what? Two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee. We assume these are angels, don't we, when we read this? All right. Who said to the men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This, this same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. A witness is something, someone that sees something, Right? You can't testify to something you have not seen. Moses and Elijah had not seen the risen Christ. Could God have allowed them to be there when Jesus was transfigured, which was a preview of a second coming glory? The day he was resurrected from the dead and the very moment where he ascended back into heaven, they were witnesses of these things. And now... In Revelation 11, they become the two witnesses to testify to the world of things that they have seen. Maybe. I don't know. I'll let you run with that. <laughs> that it interests you, God bless you. I just thought it was interesting to think about. Okay? Uh, let me read to you what uh, Pastor John MacArthur says about these two guys. I thought this was, was really good. He said, In both the Old and New Testaments, God often used miracles to authenticate His messengers. In the tribulation time, when the world is overrun by supernatural, demonic activity, false religion, murder, sexual perversion, and rampant wickedness, the supernatural signs performed by the two witnesses will mark them as true prophets of God. That's a very important statement. That God is going to give these men undeniable supernatural powers and abilities to show the world that they are, in fact, representatives of God. The extent of their great power will be revealed when they demonstrate power to shut up the sky so that rain will not fall during the days of their prophesying. That will, will greatly intensify the torment people are experiencing. The third trumpet judgment resulted in the poisoning of one-third of the earth's fresh water supply. Added to that, uh, the three-and-one-half-year drought lasting throughout the 1,260 days of their preaching brought by the two witnesses it will cause widespread devastation of crops and loss of human and animal life through thirst and starvation. So we've already talked about how God is going to poison 
a third of the fresh drinking water, couple that with three and a half years of drought, these guys are going to make it pretty miserable for the people of the earth. Say, well, why would God allow that? Because sometimes men's hearts are so stubborn and so hard-hearted, it takes something pretty drastic to get their attention. And if God has got to put us through some heartache now, as hard as it might be sometimes, to get our attention that we turn to Him and are saved, that He can spare us from eternal separation and damnation in hell and bring us to Him, that He'll do that. He'll do that. I mean, the world has gotten to a place where they're so hard-hearted, so deceived, so into idolatry and immorality, God has really got to make things miserable so that He gets their attention. And he will get many of their attention. Many will be saved. Many, many more will not. Further, like Moses, the two witnesses will have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. The havoc these two miracle-working preachers will wreak uh, all over the earth will cause them to be hated and feared. People will no doubt search desperately for a way to destroy them, but to no avail. They will be invulnerable and unstoppable for the duration of their ministry. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day.